Yak Shamash, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. This is Jake Kokorowski here. We got the Polish rifle Scott Wisniewski live on a Thursday evening. Tons to get to. Get our Olympic edition, one of our Olympic editions of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Uh, and it is a pack show, 8.45, 15 minutes from now. Armin Sarian from the big 9.20. You hear him on the Mitch Nellis show uh, and, uh, in Milwaukee. Actually is an old, old uh, friend of mine from high school when I first came back up here from Florida. And uh, great to talk with Armin. Uh, he'll we'll break down some gymnastics. He's huge into that. Uh, this will be a spoiler-laced show, as an FYI. So, though you are probably watching in prime time, what's happening? Uh, technically, there will be some spoilers there. Uh, of course, football is right around the corner, 9 p.m. Central Standard Time at the top of the hour. John Veldheis, BadgerBlitz.com, breaking down. The first few days of camp from what he's seen, it's still early, obviously, but we'll talk uh, and we'll break down some position battles, quarterback, safety, who will shine if there's any true freshman that he feels could possibly break through if they don't hit the freshman wall. Uh, and we'll also talk some at the end of the show, some Ray Allen and Bucks. It's, uh, if there's some talk about the former Buck coming home to Milwaukee, which I know a lot of people uh, were excited about. But, you know, for now, we got the Polish rifle, Scott Wisniewski. Happy Thursday tonight to you, good sir. And, you know, kind of talking, you know, talking from Badgers, you would talk about, you know, what's going on there. Tomorrow night, Packers, Browns at Lambeau Field. You have Jared Aberderis, uh, former Badger. But then on the opposite side, you have Joe Thomas. You have uh, Nick Hayden. But then you also have fourth-round draft pick and, and another former walk-on and Joe Schobert coming home. Uh, and despite the debacle in Canton, Packer fans will finally see the Packers in some capacity, some game time capacity, albeit preseason, no Aaron Rodgers, you know, no uh, you know, Brett Hundley, but uh, you, you'll get a chance to see them live at Lambeau Field, uh, and the, the season, you know, has begun. Yeah, yeah well, and not to, you know, I – it's great to see the Badgers come back, but RG3, the uh, at least early preseason starting quarterback for Cleveland, it's his job to lose, essentially. I think it would have to be disastrous or injury-filled for him to lose that position that's been handed to him. But to see him and his bounce back in Cleveland, you know, let's let's back up a little bit and talk about the whole Canton issue and the field and the paint and Ay, caramba. I mean, a little bit of, to me anyway, I think, a little embarrassing for the NFL. I, I think you would agree. I, um, to not have known ahead of time, you know, I know that there was a huge crowd, and so they held it on the field for the first time ever, and they did some different things, but to not have a backup plan, to not have known, I, I just, I think it's an embarrassment. Yes, it's just a preseason game, and yes, the players don't care, because most of the players don't care. 60 of those players probably don't care. There's probably five to ten who could have made or or lost the roster spot because of that extra preseason game. But the veterans certainly didn't want to play a fifth uh, preseason game. I get it. But still, all the hype, a great Hall of Fame ceremony, which we could talk about if you'd like. I thought it was outstanding. It was amazing. It was amazing. Then you have this, everybody hyped up to see two teams play, two 
of the better teams over the last couple decades, and this is what you get. I, 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 I think it, it's it's a little embarrassing. I, I really do. I think it's embarrassing. Absolutely. I think I saw media reports say that the NFL or the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I should say, would lose about. They're supposed to be, I think, a nonprofit technically, but they lost four million dollars alone based off that game not being played with the refunds. Right. But it's yeah, it's you know it's you look at both sides where yeah, I mean it was a fifth preseason game. I know many people, yeah, maybe media and, and obviously players were a little con, you know concerned about a fifth game, and obviously maybe preseason's already too long and risk of injury. Uh, but just look on the bright side of it, no one was injured. There's no you know we're not talking tonight about. Uh, season-ending injuries to an Aberderis, to uh, you know, a, a, granted he's not off, he wasn't off the pup at the top list at the time, but a Jared Cook or or something happened to a Clay Matthews or Julius Peppers. So there's there's a but positive side. But it could still happen. It could. Still happen. That's, it could. I mean, you know, I, I get. I'm mostly in line. I get it. Like I'd like to see, you know, everybody. You know, players get mad when you talk about having more regular season games, too, because they think that they're put at risk. But I'd rather see it at the expense of a shorter preseason, maybe three preseason games to 18 regular season games or whatever. But I don't think that's ever going to happen. Uh, but the thing is, you're still you never going to do away with the preseason because on one hand, yeah, veterans like Clay Matthews and Aaron Rodgers, it doesn't mean a whole lot to them. Maybe getting them like four quarters of football in a whole preseason is really all that matters. I get that. But there's so many other people whose careers will be determined on what they're able to, to perhaps show in these exhibition games. So they're a necessary evil. And if you want to mitigate the risk, then you don't play guys that you know are guaranteed to make the right. You know, or you limit playing time of a Clay Matthews or a Jordy Nelson if he were available, which I know he wasn't, or an Eddie Lacy. Fine enough. And however you want to do it, whatever you think is the right amount of time for your veterans, but I think the games are necessary for people who are trying to start a career or hang on to a career or extend a career that might, you know, why they might be getting long in the tooth. So, you know, I listen to the complaints from some of the veterans, and I get I kind of get annoyed and, and tired of it because, again, then have your organization not play you during the season. But you got to have the games because for every player who was really up preseason too long, I'll bet you they were glad it was long when they were rookies and they were trying to make the roster. So it's kind of a horse. With so let's let's transition real quick about the Hall of Fame weekend. We you know I want to talk about this. My wife was uh, at a bridal shower, so and after the kids went to bed, I sat down and watched the rest of the Hall of Fame speeches. Really solid speeches throughout. I mean, obviously, Marvin Harrison's is pretty short. Uh, a couple others weren't necessarily as long as well. But, you know, Eddie DeBarlow Jr.'s was an, was an intriguing one. Uh, you got to look at Kevin Green uh, and some of the intensity still. Uh, Tony Dungy. But then, you know, Brett Favre, you know, spoke for, what, 40-some-odd minutes almost, right around there, 38, 40 minutes. And mm-hmm. – I, I mean, it was a great speech. It was, uh, you know, a window into the soul you know, of how he played, of just his motivations, his family, talking about some of the, I mean, the story about the him and how his 
dead vouch for him, like, you know, behind the closed door saying he's going to redeem himself. Stories like that, you know, talking about his wife and his mother-in-law getting choked up on that end. Uh, and just even just the, the eruption of the applause where you had just so many Packer fans at that game. And, and, and just, you know, it really was an amazing feeling to see. I mean, to the fat point where you had almost every speaker acknowledge the Packer fans that were in attendance. So, I mean, I, overall, I thought the the ceremony was was really done well, and fire speech has to be up there in one of the all-time classics. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was fine enough. It was far, you know. I, I guess it's it's. I'm being that that guy, and and I shouldn't be. Who's downplaying it because I've heard Favre speak, and I had a chance to cover him for a while, and it was it was classic Brett Favre. Uh, it was very good, but. You know, I guess we're fortunate. I guess you're in a fortunate position when you can listen to a speech like that and go, "Yeah, yeah, that's one of Brett Favre's better ones." But you know, Brett Favre's always been a good talker. Uh, he's always been a good, you know. Uh, and as his career went on, he became even better and more polished. But it was really cool. And like I said, you know, from really top to bottom, I I thought that, you know, you mentioned Eddie DeBartolo. I thought he was good. I thought Dungey was good. I thought. Um, uh, uh, Orlando Pace was good, and, and and obviously they had it perfectly timed. If they were this, if the Hall of Fame was a wrestling show, they the main event didn't disappoint. You know, I think you know I kind of looked at it in that vein. They had it set up just perfectly. You know, Marvin Harrison as a current jerker was it a great speech? No, but it was great in the fact that Harrison's not much of a talker. So he goes out there. All right, yeah, hey, yeah, it was a little bit more than people were used to for Marvin Harrison. And then the rest of it just flowed perfectly, and um, so it's cool. And you know, Brett Favre getting the accolades he deserves, and uh, not that anybody, even the most stringent Brett Favre hater after he left for Minnesota, there's really nobody who can honestly say that they didn't think that uh, he was a first ballot unanimous politician. And uh, that's what he that's what he was that he, he got to do that he deserved and um, yeah I, I guess that it was a great weekend that would have been capped off by seeing a football game even though it would have been a preseason football game with some probably some ugliness and a lot of players that you probably would never hear of again it still would have been a good way to cap off that weekend it would have. Uh, you know, kind of being more broad, we got about five minutes till Armin Sarian, producer extraordinaire, uh, old friend from the uh, from my high school days, will join us talking some awesome Olympics coverage in the United States. Uh, doing pretty well, uh, but uh, yeah, producer and host at the Big Nine Twenty WOKY in Milwaukee, and uh, we'll have him on in just about four minutes. Before we do that, just kind of talking a little bit more Packers. Uh, you know, have you seen the report so far? It looks like tomorrow night's game, Scotty, uh, you're not going to see Aaron Rodgers. Brett Hundley still nursing that ankle injury, probably not playing. Uh, you have Joe Callahan, I think it's, uh, and uh, and Williams being the, the quarterback. Uh, you know, kind of take it through where yeah, you know, maybe the, the battles that you're looking forward to, to watching. You know, obviously it's only the first preseason game. It's not going to – I mean, it makes an impact, but, you know, you could lose your spot more than, you know, I mean, you can still gain a little bit of traction too, but it is the first preseason game. But, like, what are just some of the 
we haven't had a chance to talk about the Packers as much, but what are some of the things, some of the battles, the position battles that you're really intrigued well, by watching well, this moment? Well, we talked about it last week. I mean, you know, you're looking for depth on, on defensive line. You're looking to see how healthy the offensive line is. You're looking to see, honestly, there is a position battle at receiver because you, you're not going to, likely not going to keep seven receivers somebody's going to be an odd man out. And, and the candidates to be the odd man out could be anywhere from Ty Montgomery because of health issues, not because of, they've given up on him, to Devontae Adams, which would be a reach, yes, I think, to Jeff Janis, who showed flashes last year, to Abadaris, uh, to Davis. So one, one of those guys isn't going to be on the starting this, this 53-man roster when they kick off against Jacksonville. Well, again, it could be because somebody's on a practice squad. It could be because somebody's injured. But one of those five guys is likely not going to be on the roster unless Nelson and Cobb get them. You know what I'm saying? So there's the battle right there. You're going to watch because Jordy Nelson, Healthy, and Randall Cobb, they're the one and two. So really they're just looking to be sharp and to get a couple reps in. But this camp is going to be about those five receivers and which four of them make this team which four of them stick, which four of them are going to be, you know, NFL players this year, and, and that's a position back. That's the number three running back. We talked about that last week. That's a position back. Um, defensive line, especially trying to find depth with the early season speech short-handedness due to suspensions and some other things, that's going to be huge. Sam Barrington, when he's on the field, to see him and Martinez and and. Jake Ryan and see if they can solidify the inside so that Clay Matthews can stay where he really wants to stay, which is outside, less than the past. The young cornerbacks, do they grow up? How do they look this second year? Putting ha-ha dick, starting to get praise across the, the, the league. Media and players like that this could be the next great safety. Okay, let's see it. I've, I've been happy with him, but am I ready to call him Ronnie Lott? Absolutely not. So let's see. Let's see how he develops. That'll be interesting, but there's got to be depth with those positions. Can they get out of this relatively healthy and injury-free? When Jared Cook plays, can he be the guy who steps up him and maybe Richard Rodgers because the rest of the tight end pool is unproven, weak, whatever you want to call it. So let's see. Let's see if that competition of having Jared Cook there pushes uh, Rodgers Richard Rodgers to, to up his game to the next level in his third year. So those are things you watch for. I'm not I'm not turning on preseason to expect to see Aaron Rodgers throw 40 passes or to see Eddie Lacy do a whole lot or even Clay Matthews and Julius Peppers. Peppers getting a little long in the season. You're not going to give him a ton of reps out there. It's supposed to be hot. It's going to be humid. You're not going to take risks with players like that. But there are people who are uh, players that are playing for something, playing for careers, that's what's going to be something. What we're going to do now, guys, we're going to take a quick break, come back. Armin Sarian from the Big 920 will join us breaking down Rio 2016, the Olympic Games down in Brazil. Stay tuned, folks. This is the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza, of course, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter.
Doc Shamash, everybody, welcome back. Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter, your source to go for all Wisconsin Badgers news, notes, discussion, and this is great. Like, I didn't, I never thought this would actually happen just because, I don't know, it's, I, I never thought I'd get into the, the media game, but uh, we are talking Olympics right now, but we're doing it with an old high school friend of mine back from it's an old group of friends that... I, I can't give him enough credit for taking me in for being a kid that went to three high schools in two years because I moved around so much at the tail end of my uh, teenage years. Uh, but he's a great guy, uh, and, and he's now uh, doing big things at the Big 920 in Milwaukee. You hear him uh, day in and day out. we got Armin Sarian on, on the phone. And, and Armin, how you doing, man? Great to talk to you once again. Uh, and it's a, that one, of that, one of those great times of the year where times every four years, I should say, the Olympics are on, and, and just there's there's a fever that catches on uh, every four years. Wow, Jake, I feel like you're introducing the wrong guy, man. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the kind of words. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to talk to you again. We go way back uh, to high school for all these guys that didn't know. One of the great calculus teachers of all time, <laughs> Mr. Lind, right? No, but this is, yeah, this is the great look. This is one of my. I'm a huge sport fan, as most people know. But I'm usually, you know, the traditional stick and ball sports are my thing. But every four years, the Olympics comes around, or every two years, actually, with the winter. And I love it. I get into it because I think it's such a different type of sports um, landscape than we're used to. You know, for, the, for one thing, we're used to watching guys, and there's nothing wrong with it, more power to them, but we're used to watch, watching people play for money. And for, in the Olympics, um, these athletes, are playing for the love of the sport, the love of their country, and for their own dreams and goals. And a lot of times in sports that aren't lucrative, that aren't going to make them much money, even if they win gold medals, and, um, you know, that they, that they sometimes go bankrupt trying to pursue this dream. So the fact that they get so emotional when they reach that end journey, and just to being an Olympian is amazing, but even to win an Olympic medal is incredible, that makes me emotional watching it. So I really get caught up in the pageantry of it and the sportsmanship of it. You know, I think it's it's one of those things where it, it's the best parts of sports. The thing, the reasons we watch sports are put on display in Olympic time, and it's always fun when there's a little international heat between uh, between competitors. It's the one event that brings the world together peacefully. So yeah, it's a lot of fun, guys. I love it. Well. Armand, we're going to get into that right away. First of all, obviously, you've got to be given a lot of credit for, for having to work with Mitch Nellis every day, five days a week. Uh, just kidding. Mitch and I go back. Yeah, we go way back. I, Mitch is a great guy. We worked together at a different station uh, years, years ago in a past life. But anyway, let's talk about the pool. And, and before we get into some of the controversies and some of the subplots and some of the great reality TV like the Michael Phelps stare down and, and some of the things on the women's side. You know, for years, the United States has always done well in swimming and diving. You know, they've always sure. been up there, top three. But this seems to be at a whole new level. I mean, they seem to absolutely be dominating the pool the last few Olympics. And had a couple of stumbles in London four years ago where they looked like they took a step back. But both the men and women's, uh, side, they've come out all guns a blazing, and uh, how good, how dominant is this U.S. swim program right now? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and look, no matter what, the U.S. is going to have dominant athletes in the pool at some point. 
But I think you're seeing the golden age of American swimmers right now. And obviously, Michael Phelps is the is the ultimate headliner of all that. Probably the greatest swimmer of all time. I think if he's not that, he's up there. But, you know, Americans, I, I remember great swimmers throughout history. I mean, there's Janet Evans, of course, Summer Sanders. The men mm-hmm. had some good ones. But we're not seeing anything like we've seen now with uh, Phelps. And I think it's important to know Lochte. And I think he kind of made this comment in jest. But it's something I think it's true. If let's say Phelps never existed, we'd be talking about Ryan Lochte as maybe the greatest swimmer of all time. So think about it. Right now, you're you're able to watch kind of that that Babe and Gehrig right now um, of yep. swimming, and that's not to mention the great the great prodigy of women swimmers, especially Katie Ledecky. I mean, you've got you know you've got contenders in every event, but Katie Ledecky looks like she's going to be the next great um, swimming, American swimming legend, and she's only 19. I mean, let's remember that she's not even 20 years old yet. Um, and she's still in college. you got to love what Lily King did. She wasn't afraid to step up as a 19-year-old. Just a year ago, guys, she was swimming in high school. So that was awesome. But, yeah, this is, this is, quite, the, um, this is quite the golden age, I think, of American swimmers. And, you know, we're going to see our last round of, of Phelps and Lochte as well probably. But that's what makes, I think, tonight's um, 200 individual medley competition so special. This is a race that Phelps and Lochte have raced together ever since they've started competitive swimming, you know, ever since they've been in, in any international meet. They've raced this at the last, I think, five, five Olympics now, or, just, or four Olympics maybe. And um, it's kind of special because they're the two best in the world at it. They'll probably go one, two. And it's kind of like they're raced together. They're really, you know, they're really close. They're good buddies. They're roommates in Rio. And I think this is sort of like if, if you got to see, you know, two best buddies kind of bird and magic go at it one more time, this is kind of it. So I think it's a special thing. Um, to witness. But, yeah, it's been a great era for American swimming, no doubt. Well, and, 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 you know, oh, go ahead, Scotty. No, I'm sorry. I just I, I had to say, because I was thinking it, we were on the same, same wavelength when you compared, you know, uh, Lochte and Phelps to Gehrig and Ruth, because if there was no Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, who already is a star and is one of the greatest of all times, would have right. been elevated to another level but you're right here, uh, and, and poor Ryan Lochte, who in any other era would be all the, you know, on everybody's mind and on all the cereal boxes. And he, here he is, like, okay, you know, I'm not even the best swimmer on this team, even though he might be one of the top five of all time. Right. But and I think that, the- I think I think he'll still get his place in history. I think people know that, but you know, I think it's still fair. I mean, there's a reason we put Phelps on top. No one's ever done what he's done. And what is he going for? Twenty-two, I think. Now he could he could get twenty-five gold. That's yeah. absurd. I mean, that's otherworldly. You, you don't talk. He's got more gold medals, guys, than a lot of countries. I think he's tied with Ethiopia all the time. So it's incredible. But on the woman's oh, side, you know, it, 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 as great as as the stories have been with Ledecky, it feels like, and I, maybe it's the era we live in. You know, when you hear when guys like Donald Trump can be legitimate presidential candidates because of controversy, right? Lily right. King seems to be overshadowing all the great things Ledecky's done. And King's been great, too, but because she's a little bit more brash, because she's not afraid to call out uh, athletes on her own, uh, on the U.S. team, much, and, of course, people who have cheated or skirted the system. And she's right in saying those things, but that boldness sure. and that brashness, it seems like that gets a little bit more coverage because, I guess, like I said, it's kind of that reality TV era that we all live in now. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, it's 2016, right? So what plays well these days? You've got to have a story, a little controversy, right? And you've got to have a little bit of American exceptionalism, brashness, and, and sort of, you know, pumping our chest out saying, we do it right. 
We do it better than you. And we do love that as Americans, and the American viewers love that. So when there's a chance for us to say, hey, guess what? I beat you and I did it clean. We love thinking that we're the best and, and we're doing it legit. Now, of course, we all know when it comes down to the truth, Americans have had their own problems in terms of doping and things like that. So it's a little bit of a gray area. The waters are murky. But when we have someone, you know, an American that stands up for, you know, what she thinks is a cheater and perfect, that's Russia, right? It's just it makes for all it makes for all the you know the great so you have good versus evil you have the you know the the big bad the cheater on the block and in reality it is a little overblown I mean but this is, these are the stories we love and you look in, in let's say 1992 right we had three four major TV networks maybe you know and now there's 17,000 media outlets you know there's everything there's what we're doing a podcast there's TV radio blogs everybody's a writer. So, you know, everyone's, everyone's got Twitter, everyone's got Facebook. We want a little heat. We want a little controversy. That always gets everything going, right? Absolutely. 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 We're here with Armin Sarian from the Big 920 producer, host. You, you've heard him on air for quite, you know, how long have you been at the, 920, at the Big 924 now, Armin? Uh, well, I think October will be three years for me since I, uh, since I was across the street. So, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a good three years. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, you talk about, you know, a golden age for, for, for the swimming and, and just the dominance you've seen from, from U.S. swimming. You look at the gymnastics team, and now I know, now if I'm not mistaken, a certain member of the 1996 Olympic team retweeted you, right, if I'm not mistaken, or quote, mentioned tweeted yes. you a little earlier about that. Yeah, you want to tell, tell yeah. the, the fans about that? Yeah, that was exciting for me. Uh, it's, uh, people that know me a little bit well. I kind of happened into being a big gymnastics fan. I was never a gymnast or anything, but I've always loved the Olympics. And I remember, you know, I was a 12-year-old when the most seminal moment in, in American gymnastics history, Kerry Strug landing the ball to win the, American, uh, the team goal for the Americans for the first time ever. I had a huge crush as a 12-year-old on Dominic Mochianu. And, yeah, I got the retweet. I got the retweet from her yesterday, which was very exciting, no doubt about it. But, um, you know, I love this sport. I think – you know, one other sport combines the beauty, the athleticism with with moves, and you see things that these women do, and you say, "My God, it's not even human." I mean, the, the things they can do, it, it astounds me. So I've always uh, loved gymnastics, kind of since that '96 Magnificent Seven team that was able to win the first team gold in dramatic fashion in Atlanta. And um, look, we're seeing such a talk about dominance. I mean, the women's gymnastics program in America right now is the strongest it's ever been. It's, you know, it's been a weak year for international competition, but they've absolutely obliterated everybody. And um, in, in Team Gold, of course, a couple of days ago, and then tonight, the individual all-around with um, Allie and uh, Simone Biles. And I don't, feel, I don't feel any hesitation saying that I think Simone Biles is the greatest gymnast of all time. She's, won, she's going to be winning four straight years of international you know, competitions. She hasn't really been trailing in an international competition since 2013, except for tonight, which was short-lived. So, pretty impressive. It well, is. You, you, I was going to say, Scotty, I think Bella Caroli actually said it. I was looking at a USA Today article. Like Bella Caroli told, mentioned that she's, like, the best of all time, if I'm not mistaken. It's crazy. You know, Bella, it's, it's Bella did say it. And, you know, Bella's, the, like, the godfather of American gymnastics. Of course, him and his wife, Martha, um, who are going to retire now, but it's pretty rare you get this many in a community of one sport and a sport that's been around as long as gymnastics all saying this. I mean, Nastia said it just the other day on TV. I, I thought many in the gymnastics community say it, you know, that they think she is. And I, I, it's hard to debate that right now. She's, um, she's, 
she's just been so far and away better than anybody else, and she's she's doing amazing things. Well, and it's funny because I'm I'm not ashamed to admit that I watch the gymnastics competition once every four years. I will not pay attention to the world championships in 2017, 18, or 19. Right. And but most every don't, four you years, know, most don't. Right, but every, but every four years I get into this, and it started for me in 1984, because I'm old, sorry, 13 years old, the L.A. Olympics, Mary Lou Retton, all that stuff. But sure. again, you talk about timing, okay, and, and places in history. Gabby Douglas is great. She's fantastic. And here, in qualifying, she gets the third-best score but she's only third on her team. That just tells you how dominating this women's gymnastics team is right now at this place in time. No doubt. It also tells you how bad that rule is, but that's something I could talk about for another 10 minutes, so I won't. Um, but, yeah, if that rule wasn't uh, like that, I mean, the rule exists now that you can only take two members from each team to the individual all-around. Americans could have swept the, the, the podium tonight. But, um, yeah, it, you know, and you mentioned Mary Lou Retton. That was, you know, Bella's first creation as an American gymnast. So he really, the Corollis have been the gymnastics program um, that we've seen in existence in the success we've seen uh, forever. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, the Americans have been far and away better. Usually what you have also is a better international field. Um, there's been a lot of injuries this cycle for some of the top teams. And, and a team like Romania, who traditionally is a, a gymnastics powerhouse, is in shambles. They didn't even qualify for a, a team this year. They only had... Um, uh, one gymnast competing individual events, Kana Ponor, who's been around for a long time. A great gymnast, but she's 28 now. Um, some of the Russians who are traditionally good. I mean, the Russians have set the standard in gymnastics for over 60 years. Very good. They have a couple good athletes, um, but kind of coming off injuries. So it's, it, that's a combination. It's a combination of that as well. But um, no doubt about it, they're dominant right now. Hey, Armin, we got uh, just another couple of minutes. Uh, real quick, what are you looking forward to for to the rest of the Olympic Games? Well, I always love the track and field, too. I think those are kind of the granddaddy events, especially the track events. Um, every summer Olympics, I think there's a reason why those are the end. Um, in the pool tonight, the 200-meter individual medley is going to be awesome. Obviously, we talked about that. But I love the track events. I love the 100-meter uh, men final. That's the granddaddy race of them all to determine the fastest man in the world. Uh, my, it's going to be Usain Bolt's final race, I think. So that'll be really fun to watch. And uh, I, I just love, you know, he used to be so excited, so much excited for the dream team, the, the men's basketball. But, you know, even with the hiccup against Australia, they still won. I think they're so dominant, there won't be much drama involved. But um, I just love the Olympics. I love the way the world comes together. And I love the excitement and the passion and the emotion that these athletes release on, on, the, on their field of play. It's awesome. Now, Armin, real quick, I agree with you 100%. I like the fact that track and swimming are always split up. And, but I really wish, and I know that it's, it's maybe a dying sport because, there's, you know, the United States being what it is, you know, men's tennis was popular when there were U.S. men that were winning Grand Slams. Sure. But boxing in the Olympics used to be, I felt like it was a much bigger deal. And I think, again, Boxing as a whole, because of, of the rise of UFC in some cases, and some of the, I think the boxing watered itself down with so many different divisions and so many different associations. But I still think part of the reason that boxing isn't strong anymore in the United States is because 
you need a strong heavyweight division, and if Americans yes. aren't dominating, Americans don't watch, sadly. And I think boxing, sadly, is a dying sport, but I used to love that part of the Olympics. It yeah. just doesn't seem to carry that anymore. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. I think you hit it perfectly. I mean, well, boxing in general, I think, has declined in popularity. And, and for Americans, like you said, we tend to watch boxing, I think, when there's a strong heavyweight um, class and there's a strong American heavyweight. And when those are the most popular boxers, but you know, Olympic boxing isn't what it used to be. I, I like to follow it just because you know I'm Armenian. I like to follow a lot of Armenians um, that participate in the Olympics are boxers, weightlifters, or wrestlers. So there's usually participation there um, from my uh, my ethnic uh, enclave of country. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's not what it used to be, and and, and that's kind of sad because that that's you know one of the purest sports in history, and uh, one of the great you know Olympic sports historically as well. So. Um, yeah, no doubt about it. Um, you know, hopefully things change. You talked about golf and tennis. It's interesting as well. I, I don't know how much people get into those types of sports just because those are already international competitions in terms of the Olympics, uh, for Olympics. So it, it'll be interesting to see. I know uh, Novak Djokovic got upset. So we'll see what happens. Uh, did we, hey, guys, did you got we... me? There you go. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if we lost. Jake, Jake, are you there? Yeah, I'm there. I don't know what happened. This is a, the beauty of live radio, no, as you know. It's usually, me, it's usually me with the technology problems. You scared <laughs> me there. I thought, we, I thought we'd switch roles for a minute. No yeah, problem. No. I got you guys. I got you guys. Great. No, but uh, hey, Armin, man, it's been great talking with you. Uh, we'd love to have you back on the show, talking not just Olympics, obviously, because we'd like to have you on every, you know, more than once every four years or twice every four years, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but uh, obviously too. you're uh, you know, with Marquette basketball. We'd love to have you back on talking there and uh, talk back, you know, get back in touch and uh, maybe have a, oh, in person, we'd love to have a, have you down for a barbecue one of these days and catch up. I love it, man. Thanks guys for having me on. I'd love to be on a lot more. And uh, whenever you guys want me, just give me a ring. I'm, I'm ready. Awesome. Awesome. I know you're ready, my friend. I'm excited. Yes, you better believe it. And the 200 IM is about to start, so uh, this is going to be a big moment here. On that, that, on that note, we'll let you get to that, my friend, uh, and uh, just have a great evening, and uh, we'll talk to you, brother. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good one. You too. Thanks, Tom. Yep. yep. Guys, that's Arvin Sarian, producer, host, Big 920. Uh, does great stuff with the Mitch Nellis Show. Does stuff, just so many great things. Great guy. If you guys don't know Armin, he's one of the most uh, amazing guys, uh, really just genuine, and uh, great connecting with him again. Take one quick break, come back. John Veldheist has been uh, waiting for us, talking some Wisconsin Badgers football fall camp coming up. Good times, good memories ahead as they build for their September 3rd matchup against the LSU Tigers. This is the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter.
Welcome back, everybody. Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza is brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Armin Sarian, again, big thanks to him, old old friend from high school, uh, calculus class. And uh, we'll have to get to the one time where I uh, chugged a whole bottle of caramel syrup when the student teacher was teaching. And that's a completely different story that uh, Armin and I will tell down the road uh, when I spilled all over and I made a huge mess. But that's a, a completely different story. For now, we transition from the Olympics and, you know, yeah, obviously Brewers, uh, I think as of now, eight and a half games out of the wall. second wild card. Uh, we'll, we'll talk some Brewers hopefully next week. Uh, but, you know, we've already talked Packers. Football is back into our lives, though it never really does leave us. Uh, but fall camp is here. I was at Media Day on Sunday getting some great audio from, from certain Badgers, Reggie Love, Keelan Brookings. Talked with Jack Fitchie. If you guys go to our, our Facebook page for Bucky's fifth quarter, you'll see we talked with all the linebackers, including T.J. Edwards and his injury uh, with the, the kind of a freak injury with the uh, the foot. Uh, but also there, and obviously providing some great coverage, a uh, good friend and a great colleague. We've got John Veldheis from BadgerBlitz.com. John, it's it's that most wonderful time of the year for fans uh, and for the media getting to sit and watch. Uh, at least for Wisconsin, that, those that cover the Wisconsin Badgers, you get to sit in, inside Camp Randall Stadium or the McLean Center and see these uh, young men now get back into the game that a lot of America loves. Yeah, or sit up uh, on the practice field north of the stadium. That's where they were at on uh, Wednesday when they were last when practice was last open to the media. And I got to tell you, uh, it was nice and nice and hot and sticky, but I found a good place to sit in the shade, uh, like under some trees. And uh, thankfully they haven't cut down the trees that are right next to the uh, the parking ramp that's right next door over there. So I didn't get too sunburned uh, being out. I usually like hiding up in the concourse, uh, being able to get that bird's eye view when they're in Camp Randall. But, you know, we, fly, we find a, ma- a way to make it work when they're outside too. <laughs> so here, here's a little disclosure for me. I love college football, but I love college football from August 15th until January 10th. And then beyond that, I'm not a big recruiting day guy. I'm not a big spring practice guy. But now this is the time of year I start to, to put on my, my thinking cap and try to figure out what's going on. Now, you are a guy who's following this all year round. The biggest question I have, and everybody that's, that I talked to is who's going to be the quarterback when they play LSU at Lambeau Field? Yeah, that's, that is a great question. And, uh, you know, I don't think uh, even Paul Christ and the rest of the offensive staff know at this point. I mean, um, the just to, to catch you up uh, from spring practice, you know, the, the Badgers have two main uh, candidates to replace Joel Stavi uh, under center, and that's uh, Bart Houston, who has been around for a while. He, he's going to be entering his uh, uh, fifth season on campus. He'll be a, a redshirt senior. He's been uh, Joel Stavi's, you know, one of two primary backups over the last couple of years. And he's gotten some playing time. He uh, came in and, you know, had some spot uh, spot appearances for the Badgers when uh, Joel was injured uh, in a couple couple games last year. And so he, the, the good thing that he has in, in his corner is that he's actually gone out there and had some success, you know, um, moving the ball and, uh, you know, keeping the offense afloat uh, while Joel was, you know, otherwise incapacitated. Um, the other candidate is uh, Alex Hornbrook, who will be a redshirt freshman this year. Um, he is a 
pro-style left-handed quarterback from uh, Pittsburgh who originally committed to Paul Christopet, uh, but then followed him uh, to Wisconsin after uh, Chris made the move back to, uh, you know, uh, Wisconsin and his home um, home state, his alma mater. Um, and Hornbrook is a guy that really fits uh, Paul Chris' system. I mean, he, you know, he was recruited, you know, uh, by by Chris uh and I, I think that um, I think that goes a long way as far as you know the you know, having Chris see something in him as a high schooler that you know projects in his system. And I think we've seen a lot of growth out of Hornbrook, uh, particularly you know after the Badgers got back from spring break last year. Uh, it seemed to me, and, I, and I, I would I would say to other people that Hornbrook made up a lot of ground on. Uh, Houston. I thought Houston was probably a step or two ahead of Hornerbrook um, at the start of spring camp, but by the end, uh, it seemed like things were kind of um, on a level playing field. And you know, through the first couple practices so far, it seems like uh, the the two quarterbacks are about where they left off. I mean, they're they're about on an even playing field. Uh, they they the just put on some pads on Wednesday when they were out on the practice field and you know started to do something that looked kind of like football and. Both quarterbacks had their ups and downs. They both threw interceptions. Uh, I think Hornbrook had one during team drills, and uh, Houston had one during team drills and one during seven-on-seven. So, you know, it's been um, been interesting to watch so far. And, uh, you know, I guess the real question is um, if uh, if Houston's in-game experience gives him much of an edge, I'm wondering what, or, you know, how much better Hornbrook needs to show he can be than Houston if he wants to win the job outright. Otherwise, I feel like in the event of a tie, if nobody separates themselves, uh, then Houston's you know, got a, a good, maybe a, I don't I, mean, I feel like the coaching staff might feel a little more comfortable going with him in the event of a tie, especially with, you know, the, the murderer's row of the schedule that the Badgers have to play in their first six games or so. Well, it's it's funny you bring that up because I want to give you two sides of a coin, and you can tell me if I'm crazy or if one's more plausible than the other. So Hornerbrook makes sense to be the starter because there's a murderer's role of a schedule. The Badgers are a good team, but they're likely not going to be a team that's, that's in contention for a Rose Bowl because of how tough the schedule is. Let the freshman learn the system that he's a, a good fit for, and as you move into his sophomore and junior year, it makes sense. Or... Because the schedule is so tough, like you mentioned, Houston's got the experience. He should be the starter because he can navigate through some of those things, all things being equal. If they're a team that's going to be 7-5 and five anyway, who gives you the better chance of winning an eighth game? Is it Houston? Is it Hornibrook? So which of those two scenarios is way off base, or are they both equally as likely? I, honestly, um, you know, you're talking about how, uh, you know, for a lot of people, you know they're they're not invested in college football year round. It's more from like the middle of August to you know the end of bowl season. That's really a question that I've been kind of wondering um, ever since uh, you know the end of last season. I mean like because we I think we knew uh, going in you know as soon as Joel graduated and finished his career, I think we knew that it was going to be Bart and uh, Hornerbrook you know competing for this starting job because Hornerbrook you know really came in and his he enrolled early. Um, and uh, he, you know, looked pretty poised and, uh, you know, showed some good things for somebody that was in his true freshman season. So I don't know if, you know, we thought it would be as close as it has kind of become at the moment, but, you know, that's definitely, I, I think both scenarios are really, 
you know, I, I could make a good argument for either one, really. And I feel like the other thing is that we've seen both um, situations play out just in college football uh, in general over the last, you know, however many years. I mean, like, I've, I feel like I've seen teams, you know, um, go through a, a season where they are replacing a quarterback and so they'll go with, you know, the, the guy that they presume to have the steadier hand to kind of, you know, keep keep the ship upright and give the team, uh, you know, a good chance to win these individual games. But also I, th- I feel like I have seen, you know, scenarios where teams are like, you know what, um, it, it, yeah, I know it's a tough schedule, but, you know, if you let the younger guy grow and face some of these tougher defenses, it could, you know, go a long way in speeding up their development, especially if, you know, it, you have this kind of extreme scheduling scenario where you know, the, the schedule is very uh, heavy loaded with uh, the, the Big Ten East powers. And then if you look at 2017, uh, a lot of those teams drop off the schedule and it becomes a lot more manageable. Um, so, you know, I really do, and, and that's kind of why I think it's going to be a, a tough decision if neither one of these quarterbacks um, separates themselves from each other. I mean, like, you know, if one or the other, you know, takes a big step or two ahead uh, by the end of fall camp, then it's like, you know, you go with the guy that's, you know, playing better. But, you know, that is the that is kind of the question that the Badgers have to answer over the next uh, three weeks or so, especially if, you know, Hornerbrook and Houston are just kind of trading blows and uh, nobody can really seem to take a, a good hand on the starting position. Here with John Veldheist, BadgerBlitz.com. Follow him on Twitter at John Veldheist. And, you know, you talk about the the quarterback of the offense, obviously, but the quarterbacks of the defense are, are the safeties, defensive backs, you know, if you will. You, you had two la- – you know, you had one last year, Michael Caputo, uh, who, you know – just the leader of that defense. I remember talking to Durante Jones, former defensive backs coach, and how how pivotal of a role that Caputo played last season, not just lining up the safeties, but the other defensive backs, the linebackers, uh, where they're supposed to be aligned uh, within Dave Aranda's defense. But now, obviously, a new defense, uh, Justin Wilcox, uh, maybe a similar defense in the 3-4. Obviously, things will change with each coordinator. You also have a new secondaries coach with uh, the returning Jim Leonard, uh, now uh, his first year as a college coach, but you're also replacing Caputo and Tanner McAvoy that uh, who led the team in interceptions. Now you know, and I've reading up on your reports, but also seeing your tweets from earlier in the week look like Dakota Dixon and Leo Musso were grabbing some of the first team reps with Arrington Farrar and then Joe Ferguson also uh, being interchanged. And uh, what have you seen out of that safety battle? What have you seen? Uh, just so far early on, and, and who do you like in that battle to, to replace, you know, two major starters from last season? Yeah, it's really a um, a position battle that I, I feel like uh, would be easy to overlook, and, you know, there's the potential for it to be overlooked because, obviously, you know, people are going to be wanting to talk about the uh, the quarterbacks, and but, you know, at the end of the day, um, with Wisconsin's offensive line and running game kind of shaping up to, uh, you know, maybe not, I don't know, so get all the way back to the, you know, performing how people expect a Wisconsin running game and offensive line to perform. But I feel like they're going to be better than they were last season. And so when you have that happening, you know, if there's not a lot of separation between the two quarterbacks, I mean, like in the end, as far as offensive production goes, it seems like, you know, the, the results might be similar either way if you go with Houston or 
former book. And then, you know, you flip that over to the defensive side of the ball, getting good safety plays is, is very important. I mean, like, we, we saw, um, you know, in the Alabama game last year what happened when the Badgers lost Caputo um, to uh, you know, to that kind of, like, head-neck injury early on, that, that scary-looking thing. Um, that defense really was not the same, and that was that ended up being an uncharacteristic uh, performance for that defense compared to you know, how they looked over the rest of the season. Um, and so replacing Caputo and also Tanner McAvoy is going to be a big challenge. Um, and uh, so far, you know, you were talking about uh, Dakota Dixon and Leo Musso. Those seem like the two guys that have uh, the inside track to win those jobs. Uh, Dakota Dixon is somebody that I uh, like a lot as a player, uh, you know, for considering the, the playing time that we've actually gotten to see from him. And, you know, he, the, the Badgers got him involved right away uh, uh, two years ago when they thought he projected more as a uh, like a, a linebacker in a nickel defense. Uh, but then they you know, they uh, moved him back to defensive back, which is kind of his more natural position. And he was really attached to uh, Caputo at the hip for most of last year. I mean, he. It, it, to me, from the practices that I saw and uh, from games watching the sideline, it really looked like you know uh, Dixon was trying to learn as much from uh, Michael Caputo as he could, and you know, he's going to need that to uh, to really you know help the defense you know get set and get organized uh, in, in a way that or in a, in a, a way that that's that's just kind of what you expect out of the safety position. Like you said, as a quarterback of the defense, there are things that you need to be able to do. Um, and then at the you know the other uh, kind of like the free safety position, um, Leo Musso. It, it seems like he has the inside track. He's going to be a, a senior this year. If I, I don't have my roster handy, but I, I feel like he's a senior. He's been around for a while. Yep. Um, and so you know he's been in the defense for a while. He's somebody that I feel like um, if uh, Justin Wilcox keeps the you know the system relatively uh, close to what the Badgers were running last year. That's uh, you know that's going to be a, a benefit for him just because he's, you know, he's been on the team for a while. Um, having some element of continuity is going to be a good thing if you're rotating in a new player at a, an important position like free safety. Um, the the thing that stood out about Musso is he uh, in the practices that we saw in the spring he, he does kind of seem to have a knack for uh finding the football i mean like he, I, I if i remember correctly i mean like he got his hands on quite a few balls uh whether it was just pass deflections or um extra grabbing interceptions and you know it's spring ball you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt but you know uh practice is practice you only get so many of them and uh doing it in practice suggests that you could you know also go out there and do it and uh in the regular season once you start playing games. And so that's a good sign for him. Um, I think the main challenger uh, for either, you know, safety spot is probably going to be Arrington Farrar, um, who is going to be a a true sophomore this year. Uh, He's he's definitely, I think, one of the more athletic players in that meeting room. Um, And the Badgers wanted to get him some playing time and experience right away. That's why they played him as a, a freshman last year, especially as, the, the year kind of went along. They got him some more reps from the second team defense. Um, they played him a little bit at linebacker, but he's uh, more. I mean, he's kind of locked in at this safety spot for right now. And so, you know, if he can kind of challenge a little bit, then you could see a, uh, a heated position battle. I would imagine it free safety between him and uh, him and Musso. But you know, we, we just kind of have to see how it goes. I, I think the big question with uh, the team is, uh, or you know, I guess. 
the the better way to phrase it is something that I, I don't think people should overlook is that uh, you're, the, the Badgers are losing um, two very athletic and also pretty big safeties. I mean, like Tanner McAvoy was a, was a big athletic prospect. Uh, Mike Caputo, I, I believe, was at least six foot, maybe six foot one. I think the official roster lists both Dakota Dixon and Leo Musso at uh, 5'11". And so, I mean, they get football, you know, um, roster sizes and things like that are always kind of fluctuate. Uh, but, you know, the, the nice thing about having big safeties is that they, you know, the size and the athleticism that they provide um, allows them to maybe, you know, have a little bit more room for error uh, if they're playing out in coverage. I mean, like, it's, you know, these inches, I, I, you know, they say football's a game of inches, and that's, I think, some, uh, somewhere where that comes into play. And so it's just kind of something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a player's height. You can't really do much about it. But um, I guess that wouldn't surprise me if, uh, you know, maybe uh, you, you don't see some of the safeties making up for uh, maybe like a, a misstep or something just because they don't quite have that size that, you know, say Tanner McAvoy had where he could uh, kind of make up for a lack of experience in the position with just that sheer athleticism. Here, here's a question that, that I like to ask, and I'm going to put you on the spot and make you look into your crystal ball because college football is a weird sport in so much that there is no preseason. Uh, right. This team lost a lot of players. We already touched on some of them. Uh, Stave, the defensive guys they lost. They lost their defensive coordinator. But barring catastrophic injuries that you can't predict, what do you see is the ceiling and what is the floor for this team as far as wins, number of wins go and how far this team can go or what the worst case scenario, again, not take into account major injuries that you can't predict. What ceiling right. floor is your team? Um, I think the floor would be somewhere around um, maybe like six and six or, you know, dropping another game and uh, going five and seven and missing a ball. Um, the schedule is really that tough this year, um, especially just because it's, it's so front loaded, but, you know, and, you know, people are talking about those first four um, big 10 conference games, which are at Michigan state uh, at Michigan. Then I think they have their bye, and then they're home against Ohio state. And then they're on the road against Iowa. Um, and so, you know, those, that, I mean, like realistically, that is, considering what they lost, that is a stretch where they could go 0-4. Um, and, you know, playing LSU at the start of the season, I mean, like that's that's a tough game. That's practically one of your top-tier conference games for the season. Um, and then I guess the other, um, you know, the, the, the other thing to keep in mind is that uh, the rest of their Big Ten games, I mean, like it does get easier because you're not playing the Big Ten East, you know, heavy hitters, but, I mean, like, I don't think Nebraska's a pushover. I mean, you get them at home, uh, which is good, but you also have to go on the road to uh, Northwestern, and Ryan Field has been, you know, a kind of horrors for this team in years past. Um, and then you get Minnesota at home, which is good, but, you know, Minnesota has taken some steps forward. And so, you know, there's a lot of games on there that, you know, maybe in uh, at the back end of the schedule that, you know, look not as tough compared to, uh, you know, going on the road to Michigan or on the road to Michigan State. Um, but it, I just – I hope that people don't, you know, write those games in as easy wins because I think they could be challenging uh, or more challenging than people are giving credit for. Now, um, 
um, as far as like the ceiling goes, I would imagine somewhere in the range of like, you know, maybe nine to ten. I mean, like I'm I'm very I'm very skeptical about going up to double digits this year just because of how difficult the schedule is. But you know, I was talking with some other um, reporters at practice, just kind of gaming out, you know, where we thought the, the season would look like and. You know, it's easy to talk myself into seeing the Badgers stealing a couple of these top-tier games. Uh, So, you you look at LSU. LSU has lost a couple of uh, impact defensive players over the last couple days. They're dealing with the injury bug. Um, And, you know, we've seen the Badgers take on LSU before and went toe-to-toe with them. And that was with uh, Tanner McAvoy, at quarterback. Um, And I I would imagine that both Mark Houston and Alex Hornibrook could – you know, move the ball a little bit better, you know, through the air than the Badgers were able to in that game. Um, and so, it, and playing it up in uh, Lambeau Field, I think is, um, you know, you, they would rather play that game up there than have to go back down to Louisiana or Texas for the game. Um, and then, really, you look at the um, the early Big Ten schedule, and you know, I would rather, if I'm Wisconsin, I would rather play Michigan State early because Michigan State has some questions they need to figure out. Um, you know, you get Ohio State at home, uh, you know, in a home game, uh, prime time, anything can happen, especially since you're coming off your bye by then. And the Badgers have also had success in Iowa City over the last couple of years. So, really, I think there's a, a wide-ish range of outcomes for this year. I mean, like, it, it really could depend on how the team is able to, you know, sustain or sustain any momentum that they build up or – you know, bounce back from a tough stretch to open the season. I mean, like, really, you know, it, it could go a lot of a couple different ways. And so uh, I guess, um, you know, that's kind of my long, meandering way of saying that I'm not really sure. But uh, <laughs> and I, I think uh, I, I, I get, like, if I had to put money on it, I would probably say that they go 7-5 and five or, you know, maybe 8-4. and four. Uh, But I think it's probably going to be somewhere between, you know, missing a bowl game and then maybe, like, a high – single-digit win season, if not double-digit, if they can really steal a couple of those big games. John, it's been great having you on the show. I know I said we only have you for 15 minutes, but I know that we've, I think we've gone a little over, and apologies on our on our questions, my friend. We but, usually uh, do. I, uh, I, yeah. I, I think I tend <laughs> to ramble, so... Oh, it's all good, man. You, know, you provide great a- analysis and always love reading your stuff at BadgerBlitz.com, especially the stuff with you and, and John McNamara and uh, you know, the team that you guys have over there, always great uh, reading and, and catching up with you guys. Uh, what's come, Before we let you go, what's coming up for bad, on uh, BadgerBlitz.com? Well, um, Badgers are back at practice uh, tomorrow. Practice was closed today. and Unfortunately, I will be out of town. I, I have to go to a wedding uh, in Kansas City, but we will have practices covered um, for practice tomorrow. They practice on Saturday and Sunday, and you know, we'll have uh, everything from practice reports to uh, photo galleries and then uh, just some more context pieces kind of breaking down the um, position battles and, uh, you know, the other hot topics that are going on in camp. Uh, there's, I mean, there's, there's always a lot to uh, to digest before we get to the start of the season. I think we've uh, we've done a pretty good job of, uh, you know, covering a lot of different angles so far this season. So I hope people uh, enjoy it and come on over and check it out. Sounds great. John, my friend, we'll talk soon. Safe travels. I'll try to get out there tomorrow uh, in between the uh, daily work schedule to, uh, to one, uh, say hi, 
two cover and uh, three grab some of those donuts that uh, you'll bring tomorrow. So it's a uh, <laughs> hey hey I, I, I don't know maybe like like I said I'm out of town so this is that is my excuse for not having them uh, for the next couple of days. But you know if you can, you can if you, you can bump into me in, on man. Monday if you bump into me on Monday then you know maybe I'll have some. Sounds good. Take care, my friend. Uh, we'll talk soon. And uh, like I said, safe travels down to Kansas City. Enjoy some barbecue and, and a great wedding, and uh, we'll talk soon. I will. Thanks, guys. Guys, John Veldheis, BadgerBlitz.com. My, Scotty, just as an FYI, my browsers decided to take a major crap on me, so that's always fun. Uh, beauty of live uh, podcasting. So you may want to uh, take it home from there uh, if, if we can. Um, yeah, anything you want to talk I about mean, real quick? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the, the two big stories that are uh, brewer-related, former brewer-related, Prince Fielder, all but retiring from baseball um, because he won't be medically cleared. He won't officially retire. He's got some money coming his way. But I think we've seen the end of Prince Fielder's career. We should have a little bit more time. Maybe next week we could kind of talk a little bit about what Prince Fielder met to the brewers and the, the little resurgence they had in the uh, mid to late uh, 2000s. Um, Carlos Gomez released. There's been some talk about do the Brewers bring him back. I, I, I Honestly, I, I'd bring him back for the rest of the year because he's not standing in anybody's way, and it might just help him because he's a free agent at the end of the year, recoup some of the losses uh, to his ability and in, in, in the perception of Car- Carlos Gomez so he could sign somewhere else next year. But if they don't, they don't. Ray Allen, we talked about that. That would be interesting to see uh, if, if him come back. And then the last bit of uh, uh, Brewers news, uh, to see uh, Jonathan Lucroy since the trade hitting a bunch of home runs in Texas, kind of cool for him, great to throw all the way around. But, yeah, the Prince Fielder story is sad. I mean, it, it's a sad story to see somebody not be able to go out on their own terms. Um, but, again, we get to talk more about that uh, in the weeks to come. Uh, maybe talk some pennant races, too, as they're starting to heat up. But I, I think it, we would have been remiss to not mention Prince Fielder and and uh, the fact that he is uh, not going to be playing baseball. Speaking of not playing baseball, Alex Rodriguez's last game likely will be tomorrow um, as he's going to step down and take an advisor's role. Uh, so a lot of things happening as far as people's careers coming to an end uh, in a short week there. You usually don't see a bunch of those things happen at once. So uh, that's all I have, man, and I know we got to wrap it up. So uh, uh, it was a great show, man. Yeah, no, big thanks for you. And uh, just a huge thanks to John Veldheis who popped on the show, talking some Badgers fall camp. We'll talk more next week uh, coming up, and hopefully i play some interviews there uh another big thanks to armin sarian old friend big 920 producer and host make sure you guys check him out on the mitch nellis show he does and he does such good work such a good guy uh same thing with john both great guys very fortunate to, to work with such great colleagues and of course you my brother uh always great talking with you uh one of my close friends and one of my even you know i'd say good colleagues even closer and then one of my best friends scott good uh good always uh getting back on the saddle and doing the podcast again and and where can they find you this weekend uh i think you're doing something at state fair if i'm not mistaken absolutely so sunday i will be at state fair um i i always have the pleasure of opening and closing the fair for the last few years the opening day bruce city wrestling's there i'm the ring announcer for that great organization on sunday uh, the State Fair Bodybuilding Championship, 
been going strong for 15 years. Used to co-host that event with the great Steve Haywood, the late great Steve Haywood. I will be hosting it again. Um, the show's at six o'clock at the Pavilion, and uh, it's a it's a fun time. See these guys who are in great shape, shapes that I'll never ever ever could have ever dreamt to be in. But it'll be a good time. I'll be emceeing and hosting that event. Uh, Pete Marari puts that on every year, and it's a wonderful time. So if you're out at State Fair Sunday, close the fair by coming to see the uh, the State Fair uh, Physique Championship. Awesome, awesome. Uh, people go out check out that. We're going to try to make it down to State Fair, uh, possibly depending upon uh, boys' naps and and, and also some practice schedules on our end for the for the Badgers to cover, but uh, hopefully we can get down there and uh, get some cream puffs. I, my wife's never been to State Fair, which is a, what? It's a, my wife's never been to Summerfest. That's a that's a different story too. Uh, so uh, hopefully we can get get down there. If not this year, definitely next year when the kids and the boys are a little bit older and hopefully a little bit easier to uh, to manage uh, to to herd uh, on that end, but. Uh, and, well, and real quick hopefully too, you make it down. I will say this: State Fair, uh, when you have a family, as much as I love Summerfest and I love the music, when you have the boys at your age, State Fair is still a good time, even if they're young. And every what kid doesn't love animals and and sweet snacks? I mean, it's you know you can't go wrong. I think when you when you're looking at it that way. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, real quick notes there. Um, before we uh, get going to uh, Michael Phelps wins his 22nd gold medal, uh, which Jeez. is shown live, just yeah, it's insane. Uh, and so he wins that in the 200 uh, meter individual med- uh, yeah, the, yeah, 200 meter individual medley. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, yeah, uh, sad news on my end because I'm a, such a huge fan of the Fast and Furious ser- series. Apparently, according to TMZ. Uh, the Rock and Vin Diesel are feuding on set of Fast 8, which breaks my heart because those are my movies. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so apparently Vin, basically The Rock, the cast and crew are taking The Rock's side, according to TMZ, of course, which is a valuable source, uh, dot, dot, dot. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they are feuding, and my heart breaks because those are just American cinematic masterpieces. Uh, so, yeah. Anyways, on that note, uh, guys, check back in next week. Uh, we'll we'll talk some uh, we'll talk Brewers we'll talk Badgers Packers all that good stuff probably some more Olympic talk those uh, of the my friends uh, we'll see you guys soon thank you guys for listening and uh, let's see if this actually uh, yeah let's see if this actually works uh, signing off on the show you guys take care this is the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter.